0: Welcome to the Be Disciples Podcast with your host Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. This is episode number 71 as we continue our study in the book of Acts. We will be starting chapter 4 today. Welcome, Dakota. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. I'm very good. We just got done with man camp this last week, or this last weekend. Yeah. And man, was it fun. We walked through the life of David, and to see the camaraderie and the fellowship with all the guys, it was really good at at our church.
0: It was. uh, I think going through... What uh, really the Lord wants for us in our desires, uh, which are to be his desires, to do his will, and to reach all people, all nations, I think was just a good place for us as men to see where David did well when it came to that and where he didn't. Uh, But at the same time, knowing that God restores, even in our darkest uh, times where we may mess up, God's character shows us in scripture that he wants to show us mercy and grace and his love, and he wants to restore us. And And so it was just good to, to study that as men, to know that God wants to use us if we continue to be patient and seek his will, that he will uh, use us for ministry. He will use us to share the gospel. And I think that's exciting to know that no matter where you're at in your life, if you've gotten to a place where you feel like there's no coming back from whatever sin that you're struggling with, it's not true. God wants to restore you. God wants to make you new.
1: I think you're touching on something because, you know, when you when you think about the life of David, the first half of David's life was his contentment in the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. By the way, it's interesting that God anointed him as king, knowing in his foreknowledge what would take place in David's life, and God still decided to anoint him. That's good news. But the second half of his life, he had these moments of discontentment, which lead to his sin and his downfall. But then, you know, he recovers because he walks in humility, despite all the circumstances and all the, the consequences, I should say, that he had to live through. And its in, I just had a thought. God does not desire that mankind continue to walk in guilt and in shame. Guilt and shame are a result of sin, right? But it's it's been God's desire to restore humanity from guilt and shame from the very beginning, you know, from Adam and Eve onward. I was just reading yesterday in Genesis chapter 3 that God cursed the snake and God cursed the ground that, you know, Adam and Eve would have to work from, but God never cursed humanity. There were consequences, but God never cursed humanity. God's whole heart is that you would actually be restored to him. And that's the very reason God gave the promise of the snake crusher in Genesis 3.15. It just hit me that God does not enjoy the fact that we live in guilt and in shame. Instead, he's provided Christ so that we would no longer live in guilt and shame. He doesn't find some joy or some pleasure from us sitting around and sulking over our sin. Actually, he desires us to be restored to Him more than we would ever know.
0: Yeah, because when we repent, right, of our sin, yeah, and turn to Jesus, God is glorified. He is when we sit in our shame and our guilt. God is not glorified in that, right? Because all we're doing is saying, "Woe is me." Yeah, I'm not good enough. All of these things, all of these lies, but the God of the universe does think you are worth it. Yeah. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross because he wants you to be in relationship with him. So when there's an opportunity for God to show you mercy and grace, he wants to do it. Right. Because it glorifies him. He likes to show off. He does. Because he wants his name proclaimed. And so I think that's really cool to think about. If that's our mindset when we're in a place where we're struggling and going, wait a minute, God wants to shower me with his mercy why am I sitting in this place? So, I don't know, hopefully that's a word of encouragement this morning or Truthfully. evening or whenever you're listening to this, but I just hope it's encouraging to know that God wants to show you mercy.
1: Yeah, God actually rejects your sacrifice of guilt and shame if he's already provided Christ for you.
0: Yeah, David speaks of that in the Psalms. Yeah. I you don't want my burnt offerings. You don't want the, my sacrifices. You want my heart. That's right. And so, God wants your heart. He doesn't want you to Recover from this struggle by just going to church and putting on a facade of Christianity and, and wearing your Jesus t-shirt.
1: Or suppressing your guilt and your shame without acknowledging that it was wrong either. you right. could go the other direction. Yeah. But repentance means coming back to saying that God was right, you were wrong, and glorying in the fact that he's a God of truth. That's what repentance is.
0: Yeah. And we're in the book of Acts. We're actually reading about a man, <clears throat> Peter. <coughs> Yeah. who is coming off of good segue Kyle <laughs> the biggest denial that we see in scripture of Jesus yeah i mean peter is coming off of being at the time in which jesus was arrested yeah. going to the cross and peter denies him 3 times but now jesus has risen he has ascended into heaven the holy spirit has come upon him and peter is no longer living in that
1: He's living in the joy of the Lord and preaching it.
0: Yeah, and so because Peter trusts God, that trust drives us to do something. It drives us to proclaim the gospel. When we trust in Jesus, his word becomes known. We proclaim it to the nations, and that's what Peter's doing.
1: And we experience his goodness, and we become used for ministry. So let's just do that. Let's start with Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. We'll see how far we get. But it says this. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. That's actually the first four verses. Let's just start there.
0: Man, if I could, you know, I don't know. If I knew that 5,000 people were going to come to know the Lord. Do what you want with me. Arrest me. me. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, you, you see it as like, oh, man, they got arrested. But what did God use in this moment? Man, people's hearts changed. Peter was willing... To no longer deny Jesus in the midst of persecution, become arrested, and 5,000 people came to know the Lord Amazing. because of that. I just think, you know, sometimes, you know, we, and I've said this tons of times in ministry, and I still find it to be true, you know, we if we put in a lot of effort and just one person becomes saved, hallelujah. You know what I mean? It doesn't, whatever, whatever's happening, I know we want to be the most efficient and we want the most people to come to know the Lord. And and that's, that's things what, we
1: can't control that's either. A,
0: yeah. And that's where our desire is. But honestly, if if I put on a, a youth event or a college event and students show up and one comes to know the Lord, success. Yep. That person is going to live eternally with Jesus. And so I think here with Peter, this, this persecution as he's preaching the resurrection from the dead. I think we need to catch that. We do. Because he isn't just preaching Jesus's life. He isn't just preaching that Jesus died on the cross, but he is preaching that Jesus is alive. Right. And that is a distinguishing mark on the gospel.
1: Well, it's interesting. I was going to say the perspective that the first few verses here has on the resurrection. It's not even necessarily emphasizing the fact that Peter was preaching it, and he was, But the emphasis of verse 1 and 2, look what happens. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So, you know, yes, there's a direct statement. They were teaching and preaching about the resurrection, but they were greatly disturbed. You know, the teachers were, uh, the Sadducees, the captain of the temple guard, the priests, that's really interesting. Their hearts were disturbed with the message of the resurrection. And especially, the, okay, the Sadducees make sense because they didn't believe in a resurrection, but the captain of the temple guard and the priests, I mean, they, they should have known better. They they had depictions of a resurrection in the Old Testament. they
0: They should have known that and seen. Well, they probably know the veil's been torn. <laughs>
1: yeah. Oh, yeah. We need to do some reconstruction in that place. <laughs> yeah,
0: Wait, uh, we need to put that back together.
1: Right. <laughs> but it. one thing that I also find amazing here is I, I've always told my students, and I've, I've preached on this too, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ didn't take place, then I will stop being a Christian today. I need to stop. Like, I, I would stop being a Christian. I would stop being a pastor. I would I would have to tell my family, stop this. Stop following a man who hasn't resurrected from the dead. If the if the evidence were not there, then as Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, we of most men are to be pitied as fools. So scripturally speaking, Paul, Paul makes the reference that if Christ didn't raise, then we are still dead in our sins. If that's the case, why would I keep being a Christian if I'm not forgiven, right? Right. But the cool thing about the resurrection is it's the guarantee of a new life. It's the hope of the Christian. There's abundant evidence behind it. And here's the cool thing. Our New Testament does not even exist if it weren't for the preaching and the proclamation of the resurrection. The reason why we have Acts, Romans, so on and so forth is in the Gospels. Because Jesus resurrected from the dead. It's written down because they believe that with all their heart. So...
0: Yeah. And and just so you know, if you're struggling with the resurrection piece, you know, I encourage you to check out Dr. Gary Habermas. Yep. He's leading in especially the world of academia. That's right. uh, When it comes to proving that the resurrection did happen, Uh, we have a podcast episode with him. Go back and look for that. The title of it's his name, but he has a website with tons of resources. Um, He makes a very simple argument that cannot be disputed on the resurrection. Go check it out. It's worth your time. Uh, it helps you in not just belief, but it helps you in apologetics and being yep. able to have conversation with people to talk about why did the res how did the resurrection actually happen? Did it happen? All those questions. Go check it
1: out. And how do I know that it happened? It's called the six minimal facts theory. And what there's more than six facts about the resurrection that we can we can hold to, but he uses the six that skeptics will give him. And based on the six minimal facts that a skeptic has to concede to, he still is able to prove the resurrection. He's the leading scholar on it of the day. So let's continue in the text, though. We know that they're thrown into prison for preaching the resurrection. The religious leaders were disturbed. 5,000 men get saved. Um, verse 5, it says, On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and an Anos, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed him in the center, they began to inquire, By what power, or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be made known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation and no one else for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Maybe you could say this is Peter preaching another
0: sermon specifically to the religious leaders.
1: Yeah. Wow. Some powerful words.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would say probably some of the most famous of Peter's words. I will, I mean, I'll attribute that to the Holy Spirit, <laughs> God's words. But he made it very clear who did this. There was no doubt that Jesus healed this man. There is no doubt what God has done on earth in Jesus. There is no doubt on which the name you must be saved. (laughs) He was very clear. There wasn't a... There's nowhere here where you can mix up his words, I don't think. I think it's as straightforward as possible. Peter didn't give some weird analogy to make his point. He didn't do any of that. He just said exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, and Peter... I think, is risking it all at this point because they've already been thrown into prison. He's standing before the religious elite of the day, um, even you know those who are of, of the highest religious descent. Notice that it's making appeals, these teachers of the law, elders, scribes. Um, it talks about their high priestly descent. These individuals are so highly regarded in the nation because they come from families who have been Really high up in the leadership of the nation for a long time, these are no pe- there's these are no um people that the society just forgets about I mean these are respectable men before the community who Peter almost could care less who he's speaking to
0: yeah, well, who was Peter like b- before that? he was a fisherman right he worked on a boat right he wasn't some high known high high priest or yeah. some part of some family that was has been a part of this the whole time peter the fisherman that's right is before them telling them the yeah. truth
1: yeah uh, mean, imagine someone who works on a roof maybe he works for a roofing company standing up before you know somebody in politics um you know like a Nancy Pelosi or something like that and and just telling them how it is <laughs> yeah i mean the boldness but the boldness comes because of verse 8 says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. And the word filled, a lot of people misunderstand this. It's not the word plurao. In other words, Peter, you know, was not just then filled with the Holy Spirit. The word is pemplame, which really has the idea of a wind that approaches a sail of a boat and it empowers the sail or it fills the sail so the boat moves forward. Peter's already indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but now he's filled by the the Spirit, which means he is influenced and prompted and empowered in this moment. And I think this is a fulfillment of what Jesus said all along. Don't worry about what you will say, right? Even if you're kicked out of the synagogues and you know, you're persecuted, for the Holy Spirit will come upon you in those moments and teach you what you were to say. This is a perfect example of those words of Jesus being fulfilled.
0: Yeah, I love it. Peter, I like verse eleven. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the right. builders, yep. which has become the corner stone. It's, you know, Peter is really talking about in in which they have built their faith upon. Who they have built their faith upon? They know who God is, right? They're the nation of Israel. Now, do they know God enough and the Scriptures enough to the point to know that the Messiah has already come? Well. They're certainly blind to that. They're certainly struggling in that area. They're still God's people in the sense that it's still Israel, and so Peter's really making that shift. Like God has built this with you people, but you're missing the main cornerstone, the thing that holds it all together, the main thing this whole foundation is built off of, which is Jesus Christ. You're missing the piece, the main piece. You, your, your foundation's going to crack. It's going right. to fall apart. Without Jesus, you stand on nothing.
1: Well, and I think it's important when you're reading anything written by Luke, like the book of Acts, to remember the book of Luke. Luke chapter 24, he you know, recounted Jesus on the road to Emmaus with his disciples, and Jesus was teaching them, look, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to me, you know, at least at a higher level and in principle. Like... All the typologies, all the foreshadowings, it's, it's all pointing to me. And what I find interesting is that the people of Israel, the leaders of Israel, they've rejected Jesus by crucifying Him, but they still have a chance even now to accept Him. Because now you've got the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel going out before them. It hasn't necessarily gone out to the Gentiles yet. It's still primarily where? In Jerusalem. Yep. And even there, they're they're hearing the preaching of the Christ, and they were eyewitnesses of Jesus' first coming. Now they're hearing preaching about his death, his resurrection, and the assumption is his his return. They're still rejecting when they could be accepting.
0: Yeah, I think it's, I was just thinking this when you're speaking about the scriptures and in and the First Testament and, and all of the foreshadowing of Jesus coming. And, you know, I, you know, we love in movies and in books, we love Easter eggs, like those, those little hints. And I like that they're called Easter eggs. Sure. Like it, the cross, you know, Easter. Um, but we should be so enamored by looking in the old Testament. We should be looking there all the time and being like, look, Jesus, look, Jesus, look, Jesus. He puts it there for us all throughout the first Testament. And uh, cause I think about You know, Marvel movies, we're always looking for the Easter egg of what's going to be the next movie about. Um, It's almost like the Israelites continued to miss the Easter eggs (laughs) throughout history they continued to miss and we know that we know that they continued to to struggle and to be put into captivity because of their disobedience to God and not seeing truly who God is and not following him. And so we see that, but we also see a continued story of redemption, a continued story of who God truly is, his character. And so I just I just find it so interesting that Peter here is pointing out to these men who've spent however many years, their whole life studying scripture. Mm-hmm. And teaching scripture he's pointing out to them you missed it you missed it
1: yeah they they studied all those scriptures only to put it or place it back upon themselves Of oh well i guess these are the things we have to do to please god but isaiah 53 kind of along the lines of your easter egg comments and then missing it you know isaiah 53 says we all like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way and the Lord has laid the iniquity of us all upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And I think the depiction in that verse is first and foremost to Israel, because Isaiah the prophet is writing to the nation, we all like sheep have gone astray. Well, the nation of Israel to this day is still astray, and Paul even says in Romans that a partial hardening has come upon the nation of Israel, Uh, but one day all Israel will be saved. I think we talked about this in the last episode, and One of the reasons why it's such a motif in our conversations right now is because we're in the start of Acts, where the gospel is starting in Jerusalem, but what happens? Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then, you know, to the ends of the earth. So you're seeing this outward expansion of the gospel, but whenever it's rejected, it just keeps moving with or without you.
0: Yeah, let's look at verse 12, Okay. because verse 12 Uh, We were actually kind of talking about this a little bit before we got on the podcast about salvation. And verse 12 says, And there is salvation in no one else. That's right. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This verse is critical to what we believe. It really is. And when we start talking about other belief systems um, in this world, other religions... This verse right here for Christianity, the followers of Jesus, is critical to how we approach evangelism it is. and reaching the world. Because I truly believe, and I know you do too, that there is no other name, not at all, in which you can be saved except through Jesus Christ. Yep. There is no salvation outside of Jesus. And so this should change the way we live our lives those who follow Jesus, if there's no other name that saves and there's people around the world that need to hear the name of Jesus, where should we go? To the nations in which the Great Commission tells us to go. Yeah. And so this is a driving verse. This is the core of what we believe. If you truly believe conversion, salvation is only in Jesus Christ, then you better get out there and tell people about it because there's only a, a, one other place you're going if you don't know Jesus. Yeah. And that's eternity in hell. And so... This is a critical verse to what we believe. There's a
1: a few aspects to this verse that I want to share. Number one, this verse is actually very comforting because we live in a day that has to be politically correct. And I think sometimes it's true that Christians face the pressure of being um, a group of people who are exclusively for Christ and Christ alone. We do not belong to an inclusive faith, which means, oh, you know, Muslims come along and join us, and Mormons come along and join us, and Jehovah's Witness witnesses, come along and join us. Oh, if you're Hindu, come along and join us. All paths lead to heaven. Now, would we gladly, you know, speak to a Muslim or a Mormon and so on and so forth and say, please come to our service and hear the gospel. Yes, that's of course what I mean. What I'm saying is is we as Christians can no longer claim the name of Christ, and also say that there's other ways to heaven. Um, So in a world that hates us, or at least hates our position, I'd probably go with us mainly because Jesus said, I've been hated, so will you. For a world that hates what we believe about salvation, that Jesus is the only way, sometimes it can feel like, man, gosh, they're calling me hateful. And then you can start to believe this lie that you belong to a judgmental faith. No, what the real problem is, is that others are prideful and stubborn and, and totally depraved, and they don't want to come to Christ, and they, they want to pridefully be self-righteous and seek to stand before Him with their own deeds as if they could earn heaven. That's the real problem. The real problem is their heart saying, I don't want Jesus. I don't need Jesus. I'm not that bad of a sinner. I'm, I'm not even bad. So, full circle, this verse comforts me because in the moments where I stand for Christ and, you know, the PC culture will say, come on, you can't say that to people. It's like, look, no, this is exactly what my Bible says. There is salvation in no one else. Another aspect I would say is this. This verse is very comforting because we don't have to wonder if there are other ways. We can just know, look, the the house is burning down
0: there's the exit go. (laughs) Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just think we as humans, because we're sinners, we're really good at rationalizing our actions. Yes. Um, and when we look at least at America, I'm not going to speak for other countries around the world, but at least in America, in this society, we've put so much energy effort into our politics into where we stand politically, all of those people, the majority of them, I would say there's probably some Christians in there, but I would say the majority of them continue to make decisions to rationalize their behaviors, to say, no, this is a good thing because it helps people in general. If I accept them for who they are, they're going to accept me.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. I need people to accept me because I need your vote. That's right. So we've made these issues based off of individual's rationalization for their sin. And now we're approving of their sin. And now we're saying it's okay. Right. And we're calling that love. Mm-hmm. Where's the sacrifice in that? Yeah. Jesus sacrificed himself. Yeah. For the sins of the world. That's what love looks like. Absolutely. All that other stuff is not love. The 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 justification for all of these sins is not love accepting people in their sin is not love right what love is
1: is giving them the truth well and if i accept somebody for who they are because of their sinful behavior what i am saying by proxy is that your value as a person is bound up in your actions so i have actually devalued them beneath the image of god that they are yeah like if they're made in the image of God, then they are valuable objectively because God says so. But if I remove their value because of the image of God and I transfer that value to their actions and what they do or what we approve of or what we don't approve of and all of that stuff, I, I have now actually said that they are less valuable than God sees them. And that's a, a terribly irresponsible thing to do, even f- especially for Christians who should know better. You know, people are valuable because God created them. They're not valuable because they're this or they're that, or they have this identity or that identity. We can go down the list of cultural agendas. Those things don't make them valuable. But if the world disregards God's value on their life, then they only have one other direction to aim for, and that's to aim after finding identity in what they do. Yeah. And none of those things can
0: save. No, they can't. And as Christians, we need to be careful to not have partiality. Yeah, that's true. When that's we true. come before these people. Right. We need to share the gospel with all people. Right. Well, that person makes me uncomfortable. Well, that person is a little odd, so I don't really want to share the gospel with them. that thats I'll just share P- with people who want to talk to me. I don't think that's what Peter did. I don't think he shared the gospel with people who want to talk to him.
1: <laughs> well, the religious leaders didn't want him to. In fact, you'll see he later on in the chapter, they tell him, speak no more in this name.
0: Yeah, so I think we just need to be careful that we don't view people through a lens of sin, but through a biblical lens that God has given us, Yeah, that we know our scripture, because I can walk outside and go about my life and walk into a coffee shop, and if I am not in that moment thinking, how can I live for Jesus right now, I'll start to view people around me just as... I don't know. Inconveniences. Uh I don't I they're they're in my way. I have stuff to do in my life. I have stuff to get to. I have goals. I don't want to be disturbed. I that's not what Jesus says. That's not what scripture tells us to do. So, I think we have to have a lens of scripture. I always go back to the Brandon Heath song, give me your eyes so I can see. Yeah, I think that's one of the ring, best the
1: lyrics. The ringtone that I had on my phone in college.
0: Yeah. It sticks with me all the time. Give me your eyes. Give me your eyes for just one second. Yeah. Give me your eyes so I can see. Yeah. And because what that is, is that means my heart has turned to God. Mm -hmm. And because my heart is living for God, my eyes see what the Lord wants me to see. I think we all as Christians need to get to that point to where when we walk out into the world, and even in our own homes, before we even walk out into the world, do we view our spouse through a biblical lens, mm-hmm. through God's eyes? Do we view our children and the rest of our family? Do we view our church? Do we view our 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 community through that lens? I just think we need to ask ourselves that question. Because... I have to do that every single day, and I need God's grace to do that, because without Him, I can't do that on my own. I will rationalize and justify every single action I take. And so I need to have a biblical lens. I need to know God's Word.
1: Amen. I think this is a good place to stop. Let me read verse 12 once more. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we
0: must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us in the Be Disciple podcast as we study through the book of Acts. Please share this with friends, family, strangers. I don't really care who you share it with. We want to proclaim the name of Jesus, and we want to equip you as you study the Word of God. Have a blessed week.